If you have a Bible, you can open it. We left off in 1 Peter. We're going through a series called Living Hope. How do we as believers have hope in a non-believing world? And, and we've been thinking about that theme throughout our study in 1 Peter. And today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. It's a new chapter with a continued theme that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. Who, who has been here uh, by a show of hands over the, the course of the last couple of weeks? So you've been with the series. Um, it's worth me knowing who's with me because the last couple of weeks we've been looking at how we have living hope, believing in a non-believing world, and it's been an extension of something that Peter has given us as a strategy for how we are to conduct ourselves as sojourners. So we belong in heaven, but we live on earth. And he says, when that happens, there's going to be a tension to your life. And there's going to, you're going to be at odds sometimes with the non-believing world. They may even speak evil of you. So how do you respond? Well, Peter says you respond by having good conduct in your life in such a way that non-believers or Gentiles, he calls them, would see your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what that looks like in practical application of your real life. We started by saying it practically looks like being an upstanding citizen in an outstanding neighborhood in civic society by, for the most part, submitting to the governing authorities. So if you were there and you came back, you're with me. And then it got a little bit more acute, a little bit closer to your nerve, because we said it also looks like good conduct to glorify God looks like being an outstanding employee in the workplace. And sometimes you have to submit to your boss. Sometimes he's not a great boss, but you are an outstanding worker regardless. And if you came to the first two weeks of the theme of submission, then welcome back. We're going to look at it again, and it's going to get even closer to home because now we're going to look at it in the household. We're going to look at a very simple topic today, wives submitting to husbands. So easy enough. Some of you are like, I already got that. You could be like, you test out of it, class dismissed, easy one. Uh, it's important that we look at this and already out the gate, I understand what some of you are thinking potentially. I'm not a wife. I'm not married. I may be a woman, but I never want to be married. Uh, so what do I do if this topic doesn't interest me? So before we get into it, I'm mindful of sometimes the conversations I have to have with my children around the dinner table. Because children have this constant reminder when it's time to eat that healthy food is an acquired taste. My wife will cook something that is just nutrient-rich, full of vegetables, high protein, low sugar, and it's got colorful greens. And my children will look at that and say, we're not eating that. And then I have to say, you're going to eat it, otherwise your bones will be brittle and you're never going to grow. So you have to eat nutrients, and you were all there once. Nutrition is an acquired taste. And... It is true also of the nutrition of the word. It's never good if your mindset is, this really doesn't apply to me, I'll skip it. Principle number one, don't skip over the word of God. Everything in it is for your benefit, whether now or later. And Peter himself, in this letter, says the way for us to grow into maturity is through the nourishment of the word. So he uses the analogy. 
He says, the word is going to nourish your body. And remember, nourishment is an acquired taste. So if you're at all tempted to say, this message isn't for me, I'm not interested. I'm going to tell you what I tell my kids. You have to eat. That's what we're eating today. And uh, if you're like my kids, you, you, you may not eat still, but I'm hoping you're more mature than a four-year-old. So this message is, in fact, for everyone. It will be specifically applicable to wives and husbands. We are not going to view this as singling out wives or women only. Peter, in his wisdom and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to speak to the entire governance of a household, which includes husbands and well. So we'll begin with the wives. You will go first. And then we will also speak to the husbands. And I hope that we can take a passage of scripture that is often misunderstood or misapplied and bring clarity to it in a way that will bless the households that are represented this morning. So it starts in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be one by the conduct of their wives. He goes on to say in verse 2, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. We're going to spend a little bit of time on just these two verses because there's a lot in there. And one of the first ways to understand this is in the simple word that it begins with. Wives, likewise. So what Peter is saying is everything that he wrote or taught, everything that we've studied to apply the tension of believing in a non-believing world when it applies to how we live in a government and how we live in a workplace, Peter's going to say the same principles apply. And this is true wherever the Bible talks about submission of any kind, it's going to talk about the entire sphere of the way that every believer on this side of heaven, according to the way we submit to the Lord through his word and the way we submit to all of the different authorities that we will all find ourselves rubbing up against, it always gives us the context of the different fears. So this is not just wives need to submit. This is within everything that we've discussed. The theme is how do we live out the tension when sometimes we live in a condition where some people believe and some people don't. And unfortunately, I wish this wasn't true. Sometimes you will be in a household where some people are believing and some people are not. And Peter is going to speak into a household where potentially a woman has been saved and she is now living with a husband who hasn't. And the question he's going to answer is, what does she do about that? And he says, likewise, and we're going to look at this as we go, because the principles that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks are going to apply almost exactly. We're just going to have a different application. And the first principle is, he says, submit. And we've looked at this principle when it came to government, as best we can, obey all ordinances of men. And we looked at it when it came to the workplace, as best we can, servants, obey your masters. And now we're looking at it through the lens of the household of God. Submit essentially means, in the context of this letter, to respect the governing authority to respect the, the way that God has put order into every little area of your life. There is a governing authority of it. And there is a governing authority of the household. 
One thing, and we will we'll have to make a lot of disclaimers, one of the disclaimers we have to make, lest this be misapplied, is that submission does not mean inferiority. When we think about it in the scope of all of the applications of Peter's exhortation for people to, in, in general, submit to governing authorities, he is not saying in any application that you are going to be less than the people you submit to. So we can uh, work our way into the household to see how obvious this is. When you are asked to obey the speed limit, we're not saying it's because police officers are a class above you in society. We're saying you honor their role and you are going to do your best to make their role something that is easier because they've come across someone who's a believer. And in the same way, whatever way last week's message gave you some interactions with how you can be a kind, approachable, easy to lead worker in the workplace, it was not to say that your boss is better than you. It was not to say that you're down here and because your boss is so smart and so wise and so blessed by God, he's actually a better person than you. It was only to say, God has placed you in a specific context of how you are going to provide for your life through working. And there is someone in a role above you, honor them. And in the same way, this message here and other places in the New Testament is honoring to women. It is not supposed to say men are a class above women and women are the second class citizens of the home. All it's saying is God has allowed governance to keep a home in order. And one of the ways that governance happens is he's, he's called men to lead and women to co-labor. And if we need a further extension of this, let's remember how the reference point for all of these teachings point us back to Jesus. Last week, Peter said, endure suffering. Why? Because you're following in the footsteps of Christ who suffered on your behalf. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And now when we think about sometimes the carnal response to hearing the word submit, and we think you're saying that you're better than me, look to Christ. And in the life of Christ, you see a submission unto an honoring of a role without ever making him inferior. Here's a couple examples. Luke chapter 2. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem and grace to all the parents this morning. Uh, the parents that were called by God to take care of the Savior of the world left him and forgot about him. They get all the way home and they realize we left our kid at the temple. So it gives me grace to, you know, sometimes you lose track of your kids. Well, Mary and Joseph lost track of Christ. So grace. When they find him, he explained to them that he was about his father's business. And then he went home with them to Nazareth. And it says that he was subject to his parents. Jesus, the Savior, visible image of the invisible God, subjected himself to the authority of the parental unit in the household. Was he inferior? Of course not. He was in all ways greater and more majestic than they ever even knew in the moment. But to honor God, he honored the role. And to take it even further, we see Jesus the night before he was crucified. He's about to be betrayed in the garden. Knowing that his hour has come, he prays to the Father, if there is any way for this cup to pass from me, let it be. And what does he say in his prayer? But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The Son was displaying a God-honoring, Father-honoring submission to the role. 
but we know without going into the amazing beauty of the Trinitarian doctrine, we know that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all equal in the Godhead. The, the Father is not more God than the Son. And yet Jesus displays a submission to the will of the Father to give us grace that when God calls us to these roles, he is not calling us to take it as a knock on our character or a knock on the standing that we have in the world that he's placed us in. So submission does not mean inferiority. But he does say, and now he will give us some ways that in the household there is a strategy that we will in all ways look to the, both the principles and the precedents for how is it executed to the glory of God. First, let's understand what women are actually being called to in this exhortation. He says again in verse one, wives likewise be submissive, here it is, to your own husbands. So once again, lest this verse be misapplied and we create some sort of hierarchy based off men and women this is not an exhortation to say, women, submit to men. It says, within your specific household, honor the governance of the male leader, but that does not give general submission for any man to rule over any woman. And that gives some clarity to how we can encourage and build up all of the other ways that God has called women into roles sometimes of leadership. The Bible only gives two instances where the governance is specifically calling for male leadership. It is male leaders as elders of a church and a husband leading the home. Everywhere else, the Bible does not have any actual pinpointed teaching on whether or not women can lead in politics, whether or not women can lead in a classroom or in the education world, whether or not women could lead in the world of finance or in economics. This is a very specific moment that Peter is going to say there is a design within your household where your role can give glory to God in a very unique way unto your own husband. And then he says, verse one, once again, here's the strategy. The first principle is, whether it's government, whether it's workplace, whether it's home, honor the role. Honor the role by being a, a submissive person unto the Lord. And then the second principle, he says in verse 1, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be one. So here's a principle that stays constant in all the application. Honor the role, even if it's less than perfect. Remember, in government, he says, to all honor and submit to all ordinances of man unto the Lord. Meaning, sometimes we are going to be asked to do things within the scope of obeying the law that is something that it wouldn't be a law we would have thought of or made up or even like. But unto the Lord, we will do it because we are not submitting to the law, we're submitting to the Lord. And same with the workplace. He says, Servants, obey your masters. Some will be gentle. That's great. That makes that message very easy. Some will be harsh. That makes that message that require much more Holy Spirit empowerment to actually apply to your life. But the principle is honor the role, even if it's executed less than perfect. And now Peter says, and it holds true in the household. Honor the role of, of the husband leading the home even if he's not a perfect leader of the home. 
He says, even if he's not obeying the word, and we're going to figure out the extent and the scope of how far he's supposed to take, or you're supposed to take that. But the principle is, and, and grace for all family units this morning, as much as God has called men to lead the homes, God has called imperfect men to do so. That every single one of you wives that are considering how this Bible teaching applies to your life at some point or another, it could be today, it may be down the road, but there will be a time, whether it's for a day or a season or a full-on hardening of the heart, where the person that God has called you to co-labor and partner with is not perfectly obeying the word. And your role to, unto the Lord is to say, that's okay, I'm going to do my part and honor your role even if it's less than perfect. The context of this, once again, to reemphasize, was first century church. This is Christianity spreading like wildfire in a culture that had household gods. The, the Roman household pagan world, it was unheard of for a woman to have her own religion. Whatever the household religion was, that was the religion of the wife and all of the children from generation to generation. And then this thing called the power of God through the Holy Spirit started spreading like wildfire and started saving people at unequal times in households. So imagine a woman gets saved and she now has questions. Well, I'm saved, but my husband is pagan still. He's still worshiping Jupiter and bending his knees to Caesar. And the question may have arose and gets word to Peter, what do we do? Do we stay? Do we live in this household even though it's not fully honoring to God? And the question applies to every topic that we have hit leading up to this point. What do you do? You belong in heaven, but you live in a fallen world with a government that is imperfect. What do you do? What do you do? You belong to work for the kingdom, but you also have to work amongst Gentiles in the real world. What do you do? And the wife has the same question. What do I do with a husband that doesn't honor Jesus? And Peter is saying to all three, the principle at play is we are not going to be revolutionaries. Every person we interact with is eventually going to be grateful that we became followers of Jesus because we are so honorable in the current condition. It will not be perfect always, but God's people, the, the holy priesthood that he has made us, the little servants that are representing his glory everywhere we go, our job is to be the most outstanding and upright people in every role that we interact with. And that is the way that we will win people to the glory of God, including in the household. And so now we come to a second disclaimer. How far do we go? And we, I hope, have asked the question week by week. Are you saying that we submit to every government ordinance, no matter what? Are you saying to servants who are serving a master who is evil and cruel and breaking the law to continue with him, no matter what? And what about a wife who is not only living unequally yoked, but is now also partnered with a person who is downright evil with evil intentions? And the answer remains, all submission is unto the Lord. And as soon as it cannot be done unto the Lord, it now has grounds to be not done at all. And so the, the theme that we keep looking at here is we can be obedient to man until we are asked to be disobedient to God.
So I, I realize that some of you are listening to this message and it's more theory. It's more theory. Some of you are thinking, okay, I just want to have a good worldview when it comes to Christian marriage. And some of you are going through it right now. You came to church, you're asking God to speak to you, and he's speaking to your real life circumstance. How am I supposed to continue with this person? So remember the principle, we submit unto the Lord. If you are unequally yoked with someone who is asking you to break the law, then on behalf of the Lord, I will say that you have the right to go non-compliance. I, I look at my wife and, and as I am being cleansed and refreshed to lead her unto the Lord, she needs the Holy Spirit antenna anytime that I am leading her in a way that would require her to be disobedient. So if I said, hey, I want you to meet me at ICCU at 10 a.m. in the morning on Tuesday, and you know what, that is way too specific, so let's just keep it general, unless <laughs> some of you think this is a real plan. So I say, meet me at the bank, and when I come out with the, the, the bag of money, I want you to drive away. She should rightfully say, I'm calling the cops. I'm not your accomplice. You can be Clyde, but I'll never be Bonnie. And however that works in your life, this requires you to have the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you so that you are not obeying man and disobeying God. So the disclaimer is submission from government to workplace to pastors Parents to children, husbands to wives, submission is never absolute. If a pastor tries to lead you and say, you have to listen to me as your pastor and he's being unbiblical, there's the door. And the same with husband to wife. As soon as you're being disobedient to God, you have grounds for noncompliance. So we continue. And now we get closer to the strategy and it's like as if Peter has now crystallized the strategy that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. For, for the household, he can do it in one verse. Because now he says that you would uh, submit to your husband that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. These, this is a sermon recap for the series that we've been in. Principle one, respect governing authorities. Principle two, even when they are less than perfect. Principle three, win them without words. This is a refreshing word, I hope, because our default is to win people with words. We see someone out of bounds and you want to call them. You hear someone speaking evil against you and you want to return serve. And as you see your husband being disobedient to the word, wives, sometimes you want to take on the role of preacher. And so you say, hey, here's what you need to do. You need to wake up earlier and you need to pray more. You need to lead our family in prayer more. And you need to go to church, join a men's study, and you need to do retreats and start serving. And you need to finally get your act together so that our household can be blessed because you are keeping us outside the grace of God. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not right. <laughs> but as with anything, whether it's commercials on a television screen or a preacher who goes on too long, words can have the opposite effect. Sometimes you hear a word so many times that you actually reject it because your heart has grown callous to it and you want to do the opposite of everything it says. And this is an exhortation to the wives at the moment, but this is an exhortation for parents to children. As you ride your children too hard, they will eventually harden their heart. This is a exhortation to those of you who have a, just a heart to see your neighbor get saved and you have witnessed to him 
over and over and over and over again, and they've hardened their heart, and you keep going, there comes a point where Peter says, let's change strategies. Let's now go from our words to our actions. Let's actually win them by allowing God to do the speaking and you to do the living. And this is what without a word would look like. It says, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. A couple words that we don't use, but they're pretty simple. When, you, they, when he observes your chaste purity and fear, respect. It's just pure respect. It's, it's a, a desire you have to honor his role, to not question, to not undermine, and to begin to shift so that he begins to see your life doing the preaching through, as he says, through just your chaste attitude, just this pure heart that you have. And he's going to give kind of a word, a word player, a, a word picture of what some specifics of this might look like. So he says in verse three, here's an idea for the wives. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. He says, just like you wouldn't only be working on your outer beauty, if you're a believer, and by the way, he says, only outward, it's okay to have some, a heart to look nice. He says, you can put on gold, you can do your hair. Ancient women, not unlike modern women, they liked to look nice. That seems to be a theme of how God created the beauty to be enhanced in women. It's a joy for men to celebrate the beauty of women. And when you, when you look nice, it's great. But what, what Peter is saying is, but you can't just look nice on the outside because we've all met someone or maybe we've watched them on reality shows, keeping up with the uh, housewives of some city, whatever it is, and they look great. And the reason that everyone tunes in is because the outside beauty doesn't match the inside heart at all. And so drama ensues and people watch it because it's like watching a train wreck. It's like, what's going to happen next? And Peter's saying, now believer, we know that real beauty is deeper than your skin. Praise God for the ancient wisdom of the Bible to free you from the standards that have placed on the world that you got to take matters into your own hands and you got to just convince your husband and then you got to take matters in your hand and everything's external. Peter says there's, there's another way. He says, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. You want to know what Peter's concept of pure respect and winning a husband without a word looks like? you become this beautiful person in your heart. You become someone that, yes, you spend a little time in the mirror, but you spend even more time allowing God's word and God's presence to make you a beautiful person. And here's the, here's the payoff. Let aside your marriage. It says that that kind of beauty, the beauty that is renewed in your spirit by the power of the Lord, incorruptible. Now, that word does require us to have that... Every so often you look in the mirror and you get the reminder that beauty is corruptible. Uh, we, we have the, you know, the, the wedding vows and it's like richer or poorer, sickness and health. We leave one out, but it should be there. Beauty or ugly, because it's all fading. Your best day is your wedding day. And then, you know, 
how do you, how do you conquer that? You actually become more beautiful as you grow in love with Jesus. That's the design of God. God does not want us to be people who are chasing after our 20s or the peak of our 30s. God wants us to be people who are chasing after him and our inner beauty becomes so precious in his sight that it becomes attractive to someone who's hearted their heart towards God. So rather than sneaking into his car and super gluing his radio to the Christian music station so that he has to listen to it on high volume wherever he goes, you grow more and more in love with Jesus. He says, with a gentle and quiet spirit. Your husband sees you just reading the word. He sees you calm and peaceable in the midst of a storm. He sees you loving Jesus in prayer. He sees you caring for your kids and your neighbors with just that calm spirit that just glows the glory of God out of it. And he says, you do that and you might win him. So there's, there's a way that God could use your obedience to continue to love God above all else, and it might, and you may win him. So women, endure. Be patient, have a living hope that God can work without your words, and he can just glow out of your spirit. And know that this is not some secret formula to success. This will not be a, a magic bullet to where all hardened husbands will get turned because of the way that you're growing in the Lord. He says he might use it. But the, the key, as we continue, is found in the next verse. It says in verse 5, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God and adorned themselves, remember that picture, they adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. He said, now consider the women of old, the heroes of the faith, the ones that God used to co-labor with people like Abraham. Sarah obeyed him even when it was crazy and she called him Lord. Now, we don't have to copy that exactly. You can call me anything you want. But the idea is that you have this, this desire of respect. And in doing so, what did those women represent? He says they were holy and they trusted in God. This is why this passage of scripture can sometimes be so challenging. Because in the midst of feeling the tension, even in your own household, what God is saying is, do not take matters into your own hands. You're not going to witness your, your husband back to church. You're not going to convince him back to theology. Trust me, seek me and trust me and honor your husband. Because the women who trusted God, are they went before you. They will be honored. You were, they were honored and you will be honored. So this is a, another moment. Some of you going through this in real time. Some of you needed to hear from the word this morning how to endure also needed to hear from the Holy Spirit, are you at a place where you should no longer endure because you cannot do it under the Lord? But the key is when Peter says, this is precious to God. We, we looked at all of these applications. We want to serve the, 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 the neighbors by just being good citizens. We serve our boss by being hard workers. We serve our household by honoring the roles that God has placed us in. And in all of this, the payoff is, and it's commendable to God. 
at the core of your being, the thing that you desire more than anything else, and people can spend their whole life searching for it, is how to honor God with your life so that someday you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So to the women who may be going through this now, we're gonna pray at the end, but I encourage you now, as you do this unto the Lord, he says, you're precious in my sight. I see you commendable unto my glory. Well done for your patient endurance. Continue to seek him. Now, this is what I love about the Bible. In ancient times, until the Holy Spirit poured out on the church and Christianity and this ethic to honor people spread throughout the world, Ancient Rome was typical of all ancient cultures, which was the men had the role and the women had the responsibility. So everything that we've read so far, a, a, a pagan or a, a new believer might think, well, this is typical. It's like, yeah, talk to the women, make her, make her obey me a little bit better, and then I can run my household how I want. And yet the Holy Spirit now shifts and says, men, if, we're gonna, if we are going to ask women to honor God with their lives as they honor you, you better be ready. You better be ready for what it looks like to have a woman who's chasing after God's own heart and you better take it with the responsibility and the service that it's required of. So Peter says, now husbands. So now he wants to talk to the husbands. So this is an equal opportunity message. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. Husbands, likewise. The message is for you as well. Uh, his likewise is essentially going to say, how do you find honor in the application of the household. So he says, likewise, considering everything he just taught, apply it, and he's going to give some real, applicable, do this in the household to love this woman that is being built up to honor you. And here's what he does. He gives five points of advice, five points of exhortation. One, he says, dwell with your wife. Be with her. Again, trying to put on our, our history lens and understand this culture. Uh, it would have been very easy for a husband of this day to hear this and say, she has the, the responsibility of the household, she does what I say, and treat her more like a servant and an employee than someone who is actually called to co-labor with. And Peter says, no, you gotta dwell with her. You've got to, to, to dwell with someone is to intimately live with them. And we now say to the husbands of this church, dwell with your wives, meaning your wife is not your roommate. Your wife is not someone that you come home and she cares for your needs and makes sure that the house is order so that you can do what you want to dwell with yourself. You are supposed to live with intimacy in a heart that God has brought you together to be one flesh, to dwell, to live, to abide together is what Peter says to the husband. So care for her in that way. And then he says, to dwell with your wife with understanding. Men, I'll just be praying for you on that one. That could take a long time. In fact, it will take the rest of your life to fully apply the exhortation of the scripture to seek to understand your wife. It is a, again, a moment of every wedding that I've ever been a part of, when the vow comes, we always say, do you promise to seek to understand? 
And the idea is not just to get married, but for the rest of your lives, you will have to continually figure out who's sitting across the dinner table from you. I love one pastor said that he'd been married five times and, you know, he leaves it hanging. You're like, a pastor's been married five times. You think that'd be a disqualification? And then he says, and they were all to the same woman. Because you get married, you're in a season of life, you're young, you have no kids, you're in a certain house, certain job, certain city, certain town, certain church, and then everything changes. And you have to understand the woman that you're married to again, and again, and again. And you have to listen to this as the same energy, the same excitement that you sought to understand your wife when you first laid eyes on her. And you wanted to understand her name. You wanted to understand her number, probably. You wanted to understand how you could set up a time to ask her questions, to get to know her. It is with that same heart that you are to continue in your marriage, to continue to understand. Why? Because the very next thing he says, seek to understand giving honor to her. So you're supposed to be understanding your wife so that you know how to build her up. So that you know her needs, you know her desires, you know her fears, you know her worries, you know her anxieties, you know things she's thinking about, you know things she needs to grow in, you know things that she has for you to grow in. And you're understanding so that in all of the things that God has put on your heart, you honor it. You say, I want to listen to you and I want to serve you. I want to lay down my life for you. And where the Bible is sometimes misapplied to say, you know, wow, it's got this real disordering of the household of the man's in charge and the woman's just supposed to serve. We come and we say, don't you understand what the Holy Spirit's doing is elevating. All of this is so that women could be honored in a way they never were before. And wherever we go, where believers spread the gospel and they have a household, people are supposed to look at our marriages in the way that we honor one another and they're supposed to see the gospel. Paul says that men are supposed to love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ honored the church by dying to give it birth. And we are supposed to honor the women that God has called us to be co-laborers with. He says, honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And we've run out of time, so we'll skip that one. And then we'll get down to, uh, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll go, we'll do it, we'll do it. <laughs> so this is gonna sound very controversial. There's a couple readings, and I think they're both valid. Uh, one of them that Peter might be suggesting us to understand is this is going to be groundbreaking for our culture, especially if you're new to just how solid the Bible is and not shifting for the times of the culture. But uh, up until recently, this was just a matter of biblical fact that women are the weaker vessel in their bodies. Men are stronger than women. And there's how that's a controversy, I do not know. But the, the fact is that men, if we are stronger... If we have been given through the density of our bones and the, the growth rate of our muscles more strength, it means that we are to serve in our strength, to not put burdens on our wives that are not due, and to care for them in a way that honors the vessel that God has placed them in, that we are not supposed to use our strength in any way to violate honoring the wife. I, I'm at a young age trying to instill this into my son. I said, 
Tommy, you can wrestle with me, you can hit me all you want, but you can never lay your hands on a girl. You can't hit, you can't slap, you can't wrestle. I want you to point all of that at me and all your, your, your friends at school. Why? Because I want him to know that to honor women, you cannot use your strength against them. I'm glad that the Bible states that and I will not move from that position. The other way that this is often explained is not the vessel of the body, but just the wordplay, the vessel. So you have this picture of vases or something that would be used in the kitchen as, as cookware. And Peter's saying, okay, you've got men, they're like the iron pots, okay? You just throw them on the ground, they'll be fine. But the women, you gotta, you gotta honor them like, like the fine china. You've got to, that is the delicate, beautiful, precious vessel of God that deserves the highest spot on the shelf and honor them as such. So man, be gentle. Be gentle with their hearts, be gentle with their minds, be gentle in the way that you care for them and honor them and love them and know that in doing so, it is part of your duty to honor them. And then he says, being heirs, of the grace of life. So here's another perspective shifting view that the Bible is giving us this morning. You don't have to do a, a study in all of the verses that talk about husbands and wives to know all of the different ways that we should be loving and serving each other in a household. Why? Because not only is she your wife, husbands, she's also your sister in Christ. She's also a fellow heir to the kingdom of God. She's also been given the common grace that she lives as an image bearer of God. So what you can do, which would be a blessing to your marriage, just look at all of the one another's in the New Testament, all of the ways the New Testament says we should serve one another, prefer one another, love one another, forgive one another, and realize you can apply that to your marriage. You can just be loving and kind as the Christian ethic for how we should treat one another should be applied for brother and sister in the household of husband and wife. And then he gives this final point for us to consider because he says at the very end of verse seven, being heirs together of the grace of life, why that your prayers may not be hindered. This is really interesting. Men, would you know if your prayers were hindered? Are you on your knees praying for your wife and your family and the will of God for what he has planned for you enough to know if there's a discontent between you and the Holy Spirit? That's a great thing to consider this morning for the men of the church. Uh, another way to think of this is how does that look? Well, there's, again, Peter giving us language that can be applied beautifully in a couple of different directions. One it, it, imagine if she is a co-heir, she's a, a daughter of God, and it, it would be appropriate if you were at odds with the king if you weren't being kind to the king's daughter. So if you're coming to the Lord with your requests and your pleas and all of your uh, desires for him to answer your prayers, and you're not treating one of his daughters who he's entrusted you with, with honor and respect... You might need to get that right before God gives you the power of his spirit to be in communion with him. And another way to think about it is just how often our entire spiritual lives can be hindered when we know there's not something right, when there's something wrong with a relationship, when we're at odds with a neighbor and we're just bitter and there are hearts towards them, when we're at odds with a fellow believer and we're just in conflict and divided. 
when we're at odds with people at work, sometimes it's that, that lays on top of our heart and the Lord wants us to get right with people before we seek him at the altar. And so how much more is that true with our own households? Men, serve your wife, honor your wife so there's nothing quenching the spirit when you open the word and you want a desire to seek communion with God and you don't have that heavy heart because you know that you're not right with the Lord. So with all those things in mind, husbands, you have a responsibility to honor the way that the woman and the wife wants to honor you. So with all this in mind, by the power of God in the state of Idaho, I have renewed your vows. <laughs> and I want to give us a final thing to think about. Uh, if you are a, a married person this morning, I, your homework is to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your marriage uniquely. First Peter chapter 3, you woke up this morning, you wanted to seek God. Husband and wife came to church and the preacher said, here's the word. What are you going to do with that word for your marriage? What does that look like for your marriage specifically? And for the wives specifically, this does have a lot to do with maybe you are going through a time of trouble, of unequally yoked, of having to endure some poor leadership. Be refreshed in the Lord today. In all that you can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, endure unto the Lord and know that God commends you and he sees you. Finally, this is one of those ways that we can go back to the very beginning. What does your marriage say about your God? Because that's how all of this is supposed to be we're supposed to be thinking about all of these categories of submission as they apply to how we are preaching the gospel by our lives. The gospel is marriage. The gospel is that Jesus died to win the bride of Christ. Your marriage is called to preach the gospel. If you aren't yet married, I hope that the Lord will use this as a way to bring clarity to what the world sometimes brings a lot of confusion to. Marriage is a beautiful thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And the Lord had you sit through this sermon so that you can potentially soften your heart to his plans for you as a husband or wife. And for all of us, I'd like to just pray that the Holy Spirit would use this word to bring renewal and refreshment to the roles that he's called us to. Uh, we're going to continue next week, but we really have gone through this passage from chapter 2 to chapter 3 where for the last three weeks, we've considered how our lives are representing the glory of God. So I'd like to just pray for us that the Holy Spirit would give us grace to live these messages out. And then we're going to uh, sing a song of worship and take communion. So let's pray. Let's stand and pray. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you that it truly does implant into us a living hope that in the most difficult circumstances, we can still be people who honor you and live with a hope that goes beyond the sometimes troubling times of our government, sometimes difficult conditions of our workplace, the sometimes challenging status of our marriage. We just pray that in all of those things, you would give us a hope that fixes our eyes beyond the current circumstances before us, Lord that you would give us a hope of heaven that allows us to endure the challenges of earth. And right now, God, I pray for 
every wife in this sanctuary where your word is speaking directly to them. I pray that you would encourage them. You'd give them a vision for what you have planned for them in the context of their marriage. You'd give them a living hope where they're discouraged. You'd give them just a soft heart where they are feeling distant, Lord. And for husbands, God, where there are husbands who are in downright disobedience, Lord, we pray that uh, you would use the example of their wives. You would use the power of the gentle and quiet spirit unto you that some might be saved, Lord. And for our entire church, we just pray we'd have endurance to continue to live for you in an unbelieving world. And we know that that's only possible by the power of your spirit, Lord. So pour it out on us in Jesus' name. Amen.